0: Welcome to Painting the Midnight Oil Podcast with your host, Dan Oils. So recently I had a change of heart and I don't know if anyone else has experienced that recently. When was the last time that you had a change of heart? It doesn't have to be like a relationship, but just... You were headed in one direction, and then after some thought and reflection, you realize that it was a poor decision. As teachers, well, hopefully as most teachers can relate to, um, we are constantly doing that. Um, My first period is always going to receive the worst lesson because it's the first time that I've tried that, and teaching Like a lot of things in life is an iteration. You can't expect to have perfect results the first time you attempt something. So if I'm teaching a course multiple times a day, which I typically do, this year I have two preps, sometimes I have three preps, meaning that I have three different courses, three different curriculums, Um, but if I only have one or two, that means that I typically will teach that class multiple times a day. And if I'm teaching a class three or four times, um, that fourth lesson is going to be the best lesson because I'm constantly reflecting on what went well. Um, What do I need to keep? What do I need to change? Now, of course, every single classroom dynamic is different, but you can usually use the feedback from that first period or that first class to inform your instruction and improve your instruction moving forward. Now, I I think sometimes when you reflect and you have a change of heart, I think sometimes it can be seen or it can be Interpreted, or it can seem like you are being disloyal. Um, and I guess depending on what it is and the extent of the change of heart, I don't know, maybe, you know, it's difficult to make generalizations like that. Um, but there have been times where I've been very confident that I've been moving in one direction and realized, you know what, this just, this wasn't the right play. I made a mistake, no big deal, but I have to rebound. I have to change my approach. And I had that. Um, I have that a lot. I uh, was recently sharing some examples of that in these last few episodes. But when I decided to create my first collection, this was even before my Sugarloaf Mountain collection. My very first collection idea was... um, looking at these local landmarks that I've seen, that I've been exposed to my entire life, living in the Washington metropolitan area. And there have been certain landmarks and certain features that have just resonated with me in a different way, in a more abstract, what I know now as surrealist way. And I don't know exactly what prompted me to think about this when I first started painting, but almost immediately after I started painting in January of 2022, I started thinking of some possible subjects and certain landmarks and certain subjects just jumped out at me. And I started having fun in how I could run with these visions and imaginations or with these interpretations of how I've imagined um, various landmarks here locally. And I was like, you know what? Maybe that's my niche. Maybe that's like my angle is to paint these local landmarks um, in the way that I've always seen them, and then also just run with my ina- imagination and see how far I can take these pieces. Now, again, I, I know this now as a surrealist approach, but that wasn't what guided me. And again, I don't have a formal education or training in oil painting. And I think that is really beneficial in a lot of ways because um, it's an organic approach. It's an organic uh, exploration of my imagination, of my ability, um, because you know you don't know what you don't know. So you're not hindered or hampered or limited by what others, what other ideas or structures um, are presented to you. And so I, I came to the realization that I really wanted to paint these ideas. And the reason why I, I was so inclined to do that is because one, I just wanted to actually see them on a canvas. I didn't want to just think about them in my mind. I wanted to see them on a canvas in some form of uh, some physical or tangible medium. But I also wanted to share that with people that were interested. And one reason why I wanted to do that is because I wanted to stimulate other people's imaginations um, and also, you know, reinforce the sense of community. Now, throughout this journey, as I've mentioned many times, especially in season one, um, I really had like these lofty expectations about how I was going to be received as an artist here locally. And I have really high expectations for everything that I do. And unfortunately, well, the positive to that, the benefit of that is that when you set role really high goals and expectations, it elevates your behavior it elevates your thoughts and elevates your performance and your results. Um, the negative side to that is that most of the time you're going to miss those expectations and, you, and most of the time you're going to experience some form of disappointment. And how you handle that disappointment is up to you. It can either make you stronger, it can either toughen you up, make you more resilient, or it can break you. So throughout this time, you know, I, I've commented uh, very honestly about how sometimes that has bothered me how I uh, have tried to use, uh, whether it is talent, whether it is just, you know, my own effort and refining whatever natural talent I started with to improve the lives of other people as much as possible. Whether it's starting this podcast and detailing this journey to inspire other people to do the same, whether it's showing people my very first painting and and Showing them the growth that happens when you dedicate yourself to a particular project or idea, you know, consistently over time. Um, And to feel like that effort to help other people is not reciprocated can be very frustrating if you allow it to get to you. And it did um, at first. I always wanted to paint this collection. Again, it was the collection that I always had in the back of my mind. And, and throughout you know this last year and a half, I've been slowly adding ideas to this notes app that I have on my phone. And I had a lot. Now, I've narrowed it down uh, to pieces that um, I really feel um, would resonate with, with other people, but more importantly, the ones that I really wanted to see myself. Um the most powerful images that I could paint because I still have a lot of ideas outside of this collection now as time went on, I started to become more frustrated um, you know with the local scene and what I perceived to be a lack of support or appreciation and I became a little bitter and I was like, you know what man this is this is the last time I'm going to do this. I'm just going to move on to something else. I am going to move on to different subjects. And I'm not going to worry about focusing so much on, you know, local subjects because it, there's just no response. So why am I going to continue, you know, spending hundreds of hours, uh, dedicated to an audience that doesn't really care, to be honest with you. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to, call this collection, I need to call this collection that captures exactly what I'm feeling. Because as I've mentioned in a previous episode, and the more I think about what art is and what art means to me and what I'm trying to say, I keep on going back to this idea that, look, you know, I don't, it's okay if it even pisses some people off or um, makes people feel uncomfortable because the whole point of art is to be authentic. And I know that it, (laughs) it has the the potential effect of irritating the exact audience that I was trying to appeal to. But what is more important to me, but what is more important to me is that I'm just authentic and I'm explaining the exact thought process throughout this journey. For me, that that is more valuable than popularity or wealth associated with art is just creating authentic art that I'm proud of. And That includes, uh, you know, this, this genuine feeling of frustration. So I was trying to think, like, what's an appropriate name for this collection that captures that, that captures that frustration? And I was sold on this idea. I was sold on this idea that I was going to call it Sincerely Yours. And I eventually settled on Sincerely Yours because it's kind of twofold. Um, When you first hear it, it sounds very genuine. And that's exactly how I started out. Very genuine. Um, I was sincerely yours. I was sincerely the audience that um, is here locally. I was sincerely trying to do everything in my power using all of my talent, experience, whatever you want to call it, uh, to provide art to my local community to help improve their lives in some capacity. But there's also a different interpretation, um, a more kind of tongue-in-cheek, sarcastic interpretation, where it's very formal because it represents a disconnect between the sender and the recipient. A lot of times when I see these, uh, these emails, you know, they come off as being very sincere and collegial, but in reality, it's it's very corporate or overly professional or dry or disconnected. And that's how I've always really felt, not only with art, but just in this area in particular, it, it can be a very difficult culture to navigate sometimes. You know, we live in Washington, D.C. Um, it's a very corporate culture and a very bureaucratic culture that permeates from the workplace into the suburbs, where you have people that I've always felt, even as a, you know, as a kid and even as an adult, I, I just have always felt like there's this persona that is so artificial that a lot of quote unquote adults had to maintain in order to secure employment or in order to uh, secure consistent paychecks. And we just have to become someone that we're not proud of and, and become someone that is is different than who we authentically are. And it's it's a compromise that I think a lot of people make that don't want to make. And I've always tried to not compromise who I am. And one advantage of becoming a teacher is that I feel like I don't have to do that. You know, I did not want to ever wear a suit to work. I never wanted to wear a tie to work because it just was so crippling to me. Um, and I don't have to do that. And I can, I can be myself. And that's very important. That's one of those values that I hold very dear. And, you know, if, if it's a career that doesn't pay me as much money, then uh, then so be it. But I have those values that I that I can hold on to and I can be proud of. And it gives me peace of mind. So Sincerely Yours is just a, a comment on the culture in this area and in, in other areas of the world and how I am subtly protesting that, where I'm subtly calling it out. So, so on one hand, it's, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to be here for you, but we're, we're not connected. You know, this is a very artificial and um, just disconnected relationship that we have. It is what it is. Um, but at least at this stage in my career, that's exactly what it is. And that's what I'm going to use as the umbrella term For this collection. So I was on Instagram and one of my friends posted something to his story. And this is someone that I went to high school with and I hadn't really talked to in probably close to 20 years. But he kind of came out of nowhere and became one of my most ardent supporters when it came to my art. And he is a chef and he was going through something very similar. So he understood The vulnerability that is required whenever you pursue your dreams. He's out there creating these very unique, original uh, plates, dishes, and he's presenting them on social media to gain some traction and to hopefully open up some opportunities. So he's doing the exact same thing that I'm doing, and I have the utmost respect for chefs because it's an art, but it's also a science. You know, what I do is is less of a science. You know, sometimes you have to understand how different oils. Or how different mediums interact with one another. But there's far more variables in the kitchen than in the studio. So we are just you know, really supporting one another. And not just him, but there are other people. But him in particular because... Um, or I'm, I'm talking about him in particular because of this one story that he posted. And he posted something that said, district regards. And I was like, oh man, that's perfect. District of Columbia and where I live, historic district in Frederick. And I was like, that's it. That's more centered to the audience that I have become so disillusioned with over time. But I'm like, you know what, I don't I don't really know what district regards means. I don't I'm not really sure of the source uh, of that particular term. So I don't want to use the term if it means something completely unrelated or um, possibly offensive. I just didn't I just didn't know really the origin of it. So I'm trying to look it up, and I'm not really getting anywhere. I think it's more of like a, a popular culture term, but it wasn't sufficient enough for me to be confident to use it. Plus, I didn't want to use like the exact same term that somebody else has already used. That kind of defeats the whole purpose of what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to create original art. So in this attempt to research the purpose, or not the purpose understand the definition and the meaning behind district regard I came across a poem called distant regard by Tony Hoagland it just was very intriguing I'm like huh I wonder what this poem is all about because initially I read it so quickly that I thought the title was still district regard not realizing that it was actually distant regard I actually didn't realize it was called Distant Regard until just now. I I just pulled it up on my phone to read the poem. And this entire time, I thought it was District Regard, uh, which never really made sense to me. I never understood the connection. But but now it makes sense. why it's called Distant Regard. And it's a poem, before I read the poem, it's a poem about somebody who is dying. And they're basically commenting on their life. They're reflecting back on their life. And now when I read this poem, it was before I was diagnosed with invasive melanoma. Um, so I never, uh, you know, the, the timelines weren't matching up, which is for the best because it's a powerful enough poem on its own. Um, but it was right before I was, I was diagnosed with invasive melanoma when I came across this poem. But there were some similarities and realizations that I made when I was going through that process to what uh, Tony was experiencing. So Distant Regard by Tony Hoagland. If I knew I'd be dead by this time next year, I believe I would spend the months from now till then writing thank you notes to strangers and acquaintances, telling them you really were a great travel agent, or I never got the taste of your kisses out of my mouth, or watching you walk across the room was part of my destination. It would be the equivalent, I think, of leaving a chocolate wrapped in shiny foil on the pillow of a guest in a hotel. Hotel of Earth, where we resided for some years together. I start to say before I realize it is a terrible cliché and stop, and then go on, forgiving myself in a mere split second, because now that I'm dying, I just go forward like water, flowing around obstacles and second thoughts, not getting snagged, Just continuing with my long list of thank yous, which seems to naturally expand to include sunlight and wind. And the aspen trees which gleam and shimmer in the yard, as if grateful for being soaked last night by the irrigation system invented by an individual to whom I am quietly grateful. Outside it is autumn, the philosophical season when cold air sharpens the intellect. The hills are red and copper in their shaggy majesty. The clouds blow overhead like governments in years. It took me a long time to understand the phrase distant regard, but I am grateful for it now, and I am grateful for my heart that turned out to be good after all, and grateful for my mind, to which, in retrospect, I can see I have never been sufficiently kind. That's a really powerful poem, and when I was going through that cancer scare, you start to really see things for the first time, and every single moment is precious, and every single moment is an opportunity to make a memory or to make an impact, and I have a really difficult time, or I had a really difficult time prior to that experience of Staying in the moment, but also looking past certain clouds that I had in my head. And when you realize that you're on a fixed time, which all of us really are, it really forces you to realize what's really important and what's really worth stressing over. And you find out that there really isn't much. And I started to become a much kinder person. And I made the extra effort to say things to people. To give people encouragement, you know. During this time, I was, you know, taking my dog for really long walks and just giving my time, giving myself time to really process everything. And on this big loop that I take, sometimes I, I cross by this basketball court. Now, growing up, that basketball court would be filled with kids, and there would be uh, people waiting to get on, just like. You see at pickleball courts now, but that's how kids were waiting to get on the court next. And for the most part, the courts are empty. But now and then you'll see someone, usually one person or maybe two people practicing basketball. And I would never say anything because I don't know them, right? I just go along with my day. I see them, but I don't interact with them. I don't make an effort to communicate. I don't make an effort to improve their day. And I just go on. And after that scare, I started to handle those situations differently. And I started to realize, like, I am so grateful to see a kid outside playing basketball. And I know it's very unpopular right now. And even though none of his friends are out there joining him right now, he's out here grinding. He's out here chasing his dreams. And then sometimes it would be a, a dad or a coach and his daughter, or a client, whoever it is. But they're out there doing the same thing. And so I made a point when I would pass them, I would say, "Keep grinding," or I'd I'd say something, and it would just completely uplift them. They they saw me, looked me dead in my eyes, and either thanked you know thanked me or smiled, and you could tell they all of a sudden got a burst of energy. And so when I read that poem, I realized that I wasn't being kind, that I was harboring all this resentment and that I was holding a lot of people to an unrealistic expectation. And that ultimately, and and something that has taken me a a really long time to discover and really accept is that. When I first started out, I was making art, and my my goal was to become a full-time artist, which requires a lot of buy-in, requires a lot of uh, reciprocity from other people. And that can be really frustrating because you have to be reliant. Your, Your success, your ability to meet your goals is dependent on other people, people that you don't have any control over. So it's going to be a constant source of frustration. Even if you have a million followers, it's not going to be two million. And so I realized that I had to stop using that as a barometer for success. As a measure of success. But that was a really powerful realization for me. And that I was going to paint these images and paint these paintings because it was important for me. And that's it. And if someone resonated with those ideas or if someone appreciated those paintings, then that's great. And if someone could have cared less, well, that's okay too. Because I had to reestablish why I'm painting, I had to reestablish what I'm trying to get out of this. And ultimately, my goal is just to finish the project, is to take risks challenge myself, improve, reflect. What did I like about that painting? What did I like about that approach or that style? Do I want to repeat that again? You know, what did I learn with that piece? How can I apply that and how can I improve and and evolve as an artist in my next piece? And when you switch your mindset into that framework, you're always going to be a success and you're always going to be happy. And you're more likely to lead with kindness instead of resentment. And so every single person that says something is an unexpected revelation or an unexpected gift. Instead of, it's never enough. How come more people aren't supporting me? So I realized that I had to change the title and I had to change my mindset. And so I said, okay, well, I still want to create these pieces. It's still important for me to see them. It's still important to pay homage to my childhood and these experiences. And I want to encourage people to have these experiences. I want them to, you know, listen to these stories and and see these, these scenes and these pictures and ask themselves, am I creating memories? Am I visiting these places? How am I interacting with the world? How am I exploring the world? Am I exploring the world? Or am I exploring my phone? Now, another theme of this whole podcast and my art is that one reason why I am so confident in this formula is because it's helped me reach sobriety. And I I mention that because I want to encourage other people that may be struggling to explore art as a therapeutic tool and to use art as something that occupies your time and occupies your mind so you're less likely to be in search of that drug or in search of that drink and to provide you this long-lasting satisfaction that is longer than a buzz or longer than a high. And so I decided on tripping down memory lane. Because this whole collection is about my memories, is about memory lane, and it's obviously a play on you know a trip down memory lane, and it's like you're tripping, it's like this is, uh, it's like you're hallucinating, it's like this is uh, a drug induced vision, but it's not. And why that title is so important is that I'm trying to convey to people that you don't have to be high, you don't have to have a buzz to explore your imagination. That there is creativity in all of us. So I want these pieces to encourage you to think differently. To encourage you to see beyond what's in front of you. And that you don't need drugs, you don't need alcohol to get you to that place. And to have the confidence and to take those risks And even though you're taking maybe unrelated components and elements, they can work together. And the whole idea behind these, these pieces is that I'm taking these ideas that are seemingly unrelated, that seemingly have never been connected or paired with before, but to make them work. And at the same time, make perfect sense. Thanks for listening to the Painting the Midnight Oil podcast. Come back soon.